I'm Greg Dowler Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. Welcome to episode one of Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative process in process. The show's title, Ellipses Thinking, acknowledges what we might refer to as the in-between that we often feel at times in life when we take a moment to reflect on where we are in relation to where we have been and where we may next be. For the past two years, Almost to the day, it feels as if we have all been in an ellipses of sorts, being bound together and simultaneously held apart during our pandemic reality. It became evident that even as the bricks and mortar institutions of creativity, the theaters, the galleries and concert halls were being shuttered, that the creative spirit, perhaps more aptly the human spirit, refused to be confined. As I found myself ever more curious about what inspires and ignites creative expression, I began to wonder what I might learn by hosting conversations with truly creative people. And for the purposes of this podcast, I choose to acknowledge creative people well beyond those who identify or perhaps make their living through the active expression of a creative skill or art form. I began to wonder How many of us are held back by our own belief that we are not creative or creative enough for it to matter? How many of us long for the time, space, and permission when we are really the only ones with the power and place to grant it to be our most imaginative and creative selves? And what might become available to us through the stories of people who have made the commitment to the vulnerable, reflective, and ultimately human work of living creatively, complete with its joys and heartaches. And that through their experiences of being in the midst of an ellipses moment, between a here and a now, what might we learn about our own capacity to trust ourselves, the process, and the inspiration to take our first step? My first guest has always been seen as the creative one, whether by friends, family, colleagues, or first-time acquaintances. In truth, I would be amongst those who have always felt inspired by the way she shows up and she brings herself fully to the expression of her creativity as a kind of love language. And yet, as you're going to hear, she has struggled with being called creative and shares how her discomfort around her own creativity and artistic inclinations has been bound by her own success criteria based on the result of a tangible, finished product. A certified forest therapist, she is most at home in nature and finds incredible peace and pleasure in sharing her love of the natural world with others. The practice of forest therapy, inspired by the Japanese practice of Shinrin-yoku, 
which translates into forest bathing, invites participants to tune into their senses, slow down, calm the mind, breathe and notice deeply everything around them. An ellipses. In preparation for a podcast about the space of breath that an ellipses invites, I imagined what it might feel like to be within such an ellipses moment, suspended gently in possibility, where we are welcome to enter a forest of curiosity and find a sit spot for uh, to stop and reflect. And a conversation with Valerie McIntyre Baird seemed a wonderful place to begin. Val, welcome and thank you for saying yes to joining me in conversation. I would always say yes to you. It's always a great conversation. Well, you know, and it's interesting because when I think back to the birth of this whole idea of ellipses and ellipses thinking, you were a part of that. You were very much a part of that. I'm I'm looking at you sit right there in the office space and we were in and over your shoulder and mucking about. And um, so, you know, we, we've had lots of, lots of time to think about that and, Mm. and sort of the, the unique nature of those spaces um, and the possibility of discovery that lies within them. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of curious when you think about those three stepping stones, the, the, the sense of moving from one place of understanding to another, um, what, you know, what, what comes to mind for you? Hmm, that's a lovely question. It's funny because the immediate visual I had in my head, and I haven't been there for a while, is, so I'll say what it means to me, but when you said that, I pictured being in Bushart Gardens, in the Japanese garden, one of my favorite places, and they have these stepping stones that carry you across the water. And it's the space, it's like the space between each of those steps in such a beautiful place um and i've been thinking a lot about thresholds lately about the importance of that liminal space between moments and so when i think of an ellipses i think about what happens between the threshold of who you were that moment before and who you become in the next step I've never thought of this. This is lovely. And it's that, it's that moment of lift, you know, and, and, and for me becoming, becoming the next version of myself. So yeah, that's how I think about that. It's lovely. It is. And, and that word lift for me also connected to a sense of suspension. And I was watching you on the screen as, as things just slowed down for you too. So there must be something about a rhythm or a pace that it yeah. speaks to as well. Yeah, it is. It's it feels like for all for me anyways I'm always so focused on the beginning and the end of a moment and the the part that that stays with me that it gets carried with me is the part of that lift, the part of becoming in some way. And it is like stopping time because it can happen in the fraction of a second it could happen in the moment of realizing something or having a perspective that you hadn't had seeing something you've seen a thousand times for the first time 
And so, yeah, it can, it can be a very long journey in a very short period of time. And I've had, yeah, I've had many of, of those moments, but yeah, it's, I'm going to hold on to that. Of, it's funny. I have um, a friend of mine who's an artist and she, I was there with her actually, funnily enough. And we were walking across the stones and she told me that name's Lucy, that she has these moments where she will do something now for the Lucy of the next day or the next moment. And so the next moment, so the Lucy of Monday says thank you to the Lucy of Sunday for having done that, that thing. Right. And so I put it all together, but yeah, it's, it's, it can feel like it could be a moment of forever. Or it can be a moment in a moment that is impactful. Yeah. Mm. And I love that. That's, I mean, again, going back to that sense of it as a metaphor or, or a, an actual acknowledgement of this is how it works. But you, you, in your, in what you just shared, you identified both the simple and the profound oh. in those, in, in, in the images you shared. And, and even oh. as I hear myself say it, perhaps the most profound is the most simple. Yes. When we allow ourselves to take that breath in the in in the in between, mm, I love that. Yeah. So as I see you just sitting into that, I'm kind of curious how how this notion, which sounds poetic and lyrical and elegiac, is showing up for you in an everyday way. How this moment of the in between, the the, the idea, yeah, this whole idea that you were just sharing with me that. It happens daily for me only because I'm paying attention to it and because of um, my forced therapy practice, so having time in nature of sit spots and of noticing time in the expanse of the same place every day for 20 minutes for a long years now and also something that changes in a moment, but for me, I've been, I've been paying attention to thresholds and that liminal space and of noticing it because of a moment that I had this last summer with someone who is really a hero of mine, Clifford Amos, who was one of the sort of founders of the modern practice of forest therapy, obviously that's existed for a long time. And he made me realize that I hadn't grown up with a faith or a spiritual practice in my life. He didn't make me, he just said a few things that made me, made me realize that. And in that, um, I have the sort of, I, I grew up with the sort of consumer thresholds in life. So you get married. So you were single, then you're married. You have a birthday, you were one age, then you were another age. You have, you know, the, just these thresholds that, um, yeah, are very consumer based. They're not a spiritual practice in many ways. And in that, when I have forest therapy moments, whether it's with myself or guiding a group, when I experience that moment of people being exactly who they are and then getting lost in that liminal space, sometimes for a long period of time, they cross the thresholds and they connect to that knowing part of who they are. 
and then they you ease them out of that threshold to be back in the everyday life and i i realized that my spiritual practice is that and that i can notice many times in my day if i have an experience of something where i've learned something or i have an experience of a conversation with someone or i have an experience of a metaphor that deeply moves me and helps me understand something i'm actually pausing to realize that i've actually crossed a threshold on this side i was this i was valerie who knew this and that you know that that was all of my knowledge and wisdom and experience and on this side i'm valerie who not only knows it but like knows it and trying to notice those thresholds and actually kind of honor that moment um because that's the part that I think most of us long for is to have that connection to self. And so kind of a long-winded way of saying um, in my everyday life to try to not just wait for huge moments and not just wait for moments that are celebrations of things that are external, but to try to acknowledge moments that are a shift inside of, of me. And the more I do that, the more I realize just what a gifted, privileged life I have. Um, and yeah, very grateful for that. You mentioned the term sit spot as it relates to going for the walk and acknowledging. And as I'm, I, I, can you j just, just expand a little on that and, and I'll, I'll tag on where I'm where I'm curious about. I'm watching you and it, I sense that you're in a sit spot right now, even in this conversation, as you're allowing yourself to notice yeah. the, 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 the shifts in yourself. So t tell, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by a sit spot and, and perhaps where forest therapy has found you or you have found it along the way. Sure. Um, so a sit spot is a practice that and clearly existed for centuries, exists very strongly in all indigenous cultures. It is not something new by any means, but it's new in how many of us live in our busy lives, live our lives. And so the practice of a sit spot, when you become a forest therapy guide, one of the first things you have to do to develop your practice, which was really hard in the beginning, is choose a place somewhere where you will be committed and you can change it. Obviously circumstances change, but will you be committed to sit in nature and do nothing but to notice and to consciously use each of your senses. So what do I spell? If I turn my nose this way or this way, what do I see? And what's happened for me in, in my garden is that all the beings around me, whether it's, you know, birds or insects or squirrels or what have you become like so accustomed to me that they almost don't notice me and they just let me be. And it's to, it's kind of a form of meditation and, but it, and it's definitely a form of mindfulness of being keenly aware of my senses. And when I'm keenly aware of my senses, which inform my emotions and my feelings and my mood, the connection to the outside world and the inside world for me becomes really closely connected. And so it's a really important 
part of my day. I don't always do it every day. I try to, but I don't. But I know if I am worried about something, um, I'm feeling blocked about something, um, I've been living in my brain for too long, it's definitely um, a practice that I always reach out to first just to reconnect me to myself. It's lovely. I so encourage people to do that. It sounds it it sounds beautiful and it sounds I the word that I heard you say was practice. You know, and that and that sense of the reminder of these things that we establish for ourselves and commit to that we're willing to simply be in and mm. not try to control or try to engineer to 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 a great extent and just be be present. Yeah. Be present. That's it. And, it, and, and the forest therapy, I, I, again, I, I, I love to go for a walk with, with you and Bill, uh, with or without the dogs, um, whether it's in the woods or whether it's down a street, because you seem to know <laughs> what every plant and every bush and shrub is. And as you well know, we're preparing to landscape a, a yard, so <laughs> where's our Val? <laughs> But uh, so 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 plants have always been a, a key part of of your story. When um, when, when did that interest begin, and and how is it speaking and weaving its way through your story now? It's just it's so interesting to me, so interesting to me on multiple levels. It is it is such a part of who I am. And I had forgotten it for a really long time. And um, I'm so glad to have it back in my life. And I drive Bill crazy right now because he and I are completely hooked on watching Gardner's World with Monty Dawn. It's the thing that helps us go to sleep every night. Um, and, I, you know, we have this, this beautiful place that, that we get to be sort of stewards of this this land that we live on. And, um it's just so special to me. It's such a sacred place. And I, I mean, I really mean that. Um, but when I think back to my childhood, I don't remember very many things. I re actually remember very, very little, but the things I do remember are almost always about nature. And my strongest memories are being with my mom as a little girl and having this little tiny wheelbarrow. And I can remember it so well. And I was allowed to get up really early um, and go outside. And so before everyone was awake, I would go outside and I think I had like a bikini on. I was probably four years old or three, probably three or four years old. And I remember putting on this bikini that had ladybugs on it and having a hose and this wheelbarrow and going outside and collecting all the strawberries and the tomatoes and hosing them all down and sitting in the grass and just eating it and just feeling just so happy. And, um, and just being in the garden and it was, it was really a way for my mom and I to spend time together um, without actually saying anything. It's just this lovely rhythm that we would have. And um, now that I know as, as an adult of having ADHD, I also know that it was a way for me to be present and to calm my head and to calm my nervous system, which I know was, was always, um, sort of pushed to its limits on a, on a fairly regular basis. And so it was my medicine, like just to, to have my feet in the grass, if I could get on my bike and be in a field and like just scavenge around to see what kind of insects and 
plants and flowers and stuff for growing it. It's, it was just part of who I am. And then my favorite job I ever had in my life, um, was working in a garden center and there was a woman there who taught me everything. And she taught me how to recognize any plant by the shape of its leaves and by the color of the leaves, you could tell if it was shade tolerant or light tolerant. And just, she just was this wealth of information. And when people would ask me questions, it's funny, actually, I never thought of it this way before, but it was, it was probably the start of my creative journey in some ways, because people would say, I want my garden to look like this. And so it would be like painting with botany, right? Like painting with flowers and plants and things. And so anyway, so it started, it started with that. And this, I think it's, it's always been without realizing this yearning to calm my head and that moved into photography and noticing things up close, like looking for these miniature worlds um, and taking pictures of it. And, and so for me, I think, yeah, it, it evolved into, into that. But for lots of my working life, other than, you know, going hiking or kayaking or things, I think I just stopped noticing. I think, I don't think I completely stopped, but it wasn't part, part of my life. And now that I have it back, it's like, whoa, like I'm just, that I use the word grounded all the time, but I just feel so deeply grounded and I understand them better than I understand people sometimes. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Deep connection. Yeah. And that, and that, and that notice of, I mean, it's, it's, I, I found myself feeling both joy that you have reconnected, mm. but a sadness for how many people never reconnect to begin noticing again. Right. And when do we stop noticing? That's it. Yeah. When yeah. do we stop? When do we, you know, it's just talking to, to people who are really suffering with mental health and just don't haven't noticed things and haven't and looking for something extraordinary and big like a vacation or buying something or that will give them a spark of joy again and I just go like come outside with me <laughs> like, mm. let's just look at this let's just look at this little tiny space right here up close like spell it yeah. touch it it just and you see what happens to the person. It's this childhood and this wonder and delight and lack of time and you know, just no sense of time. And I think, God, to not have that in your in your life, like that is what it is to have a human experience. I think we think it's always with other humans. Mm-hmm. We're only supposed to have in a human experience in relation to another person. And I think it's actually first with yourself and then with the natural world and then with people, but not just people. Hmm. Definitely not stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) how many times my mother talked to me about the joy that uh, she could see I was having in kindergarten because it Mm -hmm. took place outside in the schoolyard always. Um, and, and in fact, going to grade one was like pulling teeth because it, we had to go into the building and, and, and then did we stop noticing perhaps, but we certainly, um, had, had less 
of the natural world to to be exposed and inspired by. Yeah, yeah, and and to be looking at things in a way that you're going to be tested on it. You want to notice biology about how it works, so you can be tested. Not to notice it, so you can be in relation to it and be experiencing that sense of wonder and awe of how is that possible? You know, how, how is that possible? And for me, I, I literally jump out of bed every day now. I do. And it's a lot of it's because I have a son and, you know, you know, you know, our son and he'll be, you know, desperate to play video games. And I'll say, like, come outside and we'll go outside and I'll give him a seed from a maple tree and go, how did this become that? How does it know how to weave those leaves? How does it know to drop them? How does it know to grow them? How does it know how to tell the other trees when there's, you know, pests coming? How does it know that? And he'll, and then he'll go, wow, okay, let's talk about this. Can we research it? But it's just, there's nothing in the school system that's encouraging kids to ask the questions right now that I've seen. So, well, and- yeah, and and I go back to rhythm and pace. It, it it requires a commitment to slowing things down. Even the list of questions that you just uh, you know came up with that is just the tip of the iceberg, and yet that slowed your son down, gave yeah. him pause. That's what we used to call it, you know. Yeah. And and I yeah I'm this. There's an invitation to just slow it all down. Yeah. And just choose one sense. And it's not just what you see. On the next episode of Ellipses Thinking, I welcome Stacy Sabai, a professor of acting and pedagogy and the faculty fellow of Mission and Identity at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, as she shares her journey from perfect to play, to magic. To say that Stacy is an actor, an educator, or academic would fall so short of acknowledging her as the powerfully courageous person that she is. A lifelong believer that perfect was her goal, Stacy shares how she was able to finally release the burden of perfection and the freedom she has experienced in doing so. Weaving the wisdom of Mary Oliver and others into her own evolving story, she shares a sense of wild belonging by choosing to no longer define life as a self-improvement project, but rather one of reclaiming identity as she calls out from the mountaintop, Stop striving, you're already here. I hope you will join me for my conversation with her on the next episode of Ellipses Thinking immediately following here on the Ordinary Podcasting Network and remind you to share this podcast with your community of curiosity. So, Val, a few moments ago, you used the term um, a creative life or, or the word creativity dropped in here. And I, I want us to point our needle towards towards that and, and, and what it means to be or feel or identify as creative. <clears throat> so let me start by saying that I know, I know you in my soul to be incredibly creative in your approach to life. I've seen it. I've, I've, I've been inspired by it. I've been drawn magnetically to it. And you've shared with me that your own network, both professionally and personally, I've always seen you as the creative one. 
But I wonder how you identify with this idea of being creative or of approaching life through the artistic lens. I'll be really, really honest with you. I, I feel like an imposter when people give me that label. And, uh, but I'm working through that because I know it's not true, but my, my immediate response to it is that it's not true. Cause I, I look at you in town, right? I mean, everything about you and your children just oozes with creativity because I think of creativity. I've been socialized to imagine that creativity is the arts. So you're mm. a painter, you're a musician, you're, and, and it also comes with some sense of what you make is valued. So to, to create something that you, or, or that you feel proud enough to show it's here I am, right? It's, it's a, a type of expression of that's, that's you, my, that would be my expression of who I am in my, my way. And the way I was brought up about what creative, and not by my parents in general, was that creativity is measured at a young age about whether or not you were the best or not even good enough, the best at something that you did. So I had lots, unfortunately, so I'll get to where I am now because you really made me think about this question today. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you asking me this. And I, I really want to explore this with you because I trust you and it's actually a really vulnerable subject for me is as a kid, you know, I, I remember and my parents didn't mean it, but if I wasn't immediately good at something, then they would just stop it. So I took tennis lessons, terrible. My tennis instructor used the money to buy steaks to barbecue on the tennis court when my parents left, right? Like we wouldn't have a barbecue together. I took piano lessons and the piano instructor said, I'm sorry, but she's just not disciplined enough. She'll never be a pianist. And so, you know, I, I took art classes and I was okay, but I wasn't as good as the teacher. So in my mind, I've been practicing for a lifetime right when you're 10 and so I'm not an I'm not an artist right and and so I but people always saw that I am and I couldn't understand what that meant and yeah I couldn't understand what it meant and sometimes it would be how I decorated my home people would say that I was creative because of you know it's just so colorful um, in my twenties, it was because of how I dressed a lot because I always wore really bright colors and jewelry, you know, the eighties were fantastic. And mm -hmm. so I was seemed to be a creative person. And, um, I remember the two glints in my teenage and university life where I imagined for a moment I was creative, but I was told by my family that creativity doesn't, doesn't keep you off the poverty line. And so it was either be highly successful with regular income or you were going to be homeless and there was no in between. And so the fear of being creative was also not having my basic needs met. And so I convinced myself that creativity um, wasn't going to keep me safe. And so the two glimmers was, I remember um, in university, I took an art class and I was going to quit. 
because I just couldn't do it. These people in my class were drawing these beautiful charcoals of these figures and I just couldn't. And my art teacher, um, she said, like, sit down. And I thought I was going to get in a lot of trouble and gave me a <laughs> You have to fill in this, you know, what, two foot by one foot, bigger than that piece of paper, completely blacked out. And I thought that was my punishment. And so I did it. And then they gave me an eraser and said, no, erase it out. Erase the image out. And I did it. And it was just magical because if something didn't work, I didn't have all, it, it wasn't having white space with every mark I made being an error. It was having black space for every mark that I made being the image it was just it was really cool so and i still have it hanging up and that Mm. moment i love that that sketch that i did and then the other was taking this creative writing class in university and the the professor said you know i only do a standing ovation once for someone in the class and um you'll know who you are because the class will start it and i'll finish it and so i did this poem and and so i was the one that got it and i thought Oh, everyone else in the class must be really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I must have peaked early or something. But again, I just, it was complete disbelief. It was just a moment in passing. And so what I'm coming to realize is that creativity isn't just about the arts. And it, it's, but it is still art in its own way. And so I remembered today when I was outside, I remembered reading my, one of my favorite books, um, Seth Godin, The Practice. Right. And uh, he said something like, to be creative is to be generous and it's to solve a problem not knowing if it'll work. And I thought, oh, well, that's who I am. I'm like, I'm the one, everyone tells me this is, it is impossible. I'll be the front of the line and like pulling together the troops because that for me is my oxygen. I, I love to do the impossible. I love to bring people with me. I love, like my nickname is the Purposeful Optimist. I was teased when I was a kid about being too optimistic. And I got angry about it because I said, I'm purposeful. I believe that there's always a way, but I'm not naive. I just believe. I do. I believe in it. And so the, the only other hit I've ever had in that is, again, with having ADHD, is that it is my, my greatest gift because it is the risk taker. It is the seeing patterns. It is seeing how to fix it in 2.5 seconds and having to spend the next two days trying to bring people along to the whole movie I just saw in my head of how we can do this and, and leading people. I love that. Um, but I'm not a finisher. And so you, in my head, the value of solving a problem comes from completing it, right? like finishing it. And so I see now that my creative life has been my leadership because I want to finish. I want to inspire people. I want to make things better. 
always, every day. That's why I go to work every day doing, I don't care what, where I work. I want to have problems to solve that matter. Um, but it's to have diversity of people around me of finishers. The people who want to be around a creative person and value my creativity and who also are given the freedom from me to hopefully find some of their creativity inside of them so that they can see things as an experiment, not a right or a wrong. And so that's my creativity. I realized, I think is about how I see the world with purposeful optimism and so I try every day to be generous with my time, with my ideas, my resources to solve problems that matter. And I've had to be a leader because I never would have probably finished 90% of the problems I started if I wouldn't have had people with me who were invaluable to that. And so I think that's, that's where my creative journey is now. So, you know, and yeah, I'm not a, a phenomenal singer, although I did take singing lessons because it was the greatest fear I had. And I discovered that I actually can sing when I was, what, 48 years old. I discovered that I can. I'm not singing on your podcast, by the way. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, to realize that my creativity is actually that sense of wonder that I have. It's that it's, it comes from the spirit of being curious and generous. And it's like I shine, I'll steal this from, from Clifford Amos again, from, from Forest Therapy. He says, you know, your medicine is the, the thing that you have that allows you to shine light where there's dark corners for others. And... That's also to me what creativity is, is, is to shine the light and express yourself and help others express themselves too. So that was all me thinking out loud, by the way. <laughs> I didn't expect to land there. So thank you for the generous listening. Hey, you're more than that. welcome. I, well, and as, <clears throat> as you know, we, talk, we spoke this morning just to sort of get ourselves set up for, for this conversation. And I loved the way you said that's what I'm going to take on the journey. That's the question I want to live in today. And in fact, this morning you talked about it as the riddle, right? How can I be an artist if I don't create a product or potentially even aspire to? But now what I'm so clearly hearing is a real shift in the honoring of the who you be, not the what you make. And if yeah. something's made, in the end, including um, a feeling that comes into the heart of another that you engage in, perhaps there are other ways of, of, of assessing the value of yes. the creative spirit and the creative act. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, it's, thank you for, for, for that whole journey because central to that shift for me, I'm also hearing you working to cast off some of those judge, judgy words, right? From the very get-go, you talked about uh, 
getting the clear impression that if I wasn't the best at something, so there it is, that the best, who determines what that is? It's in your heart, the heart of a little girl saying, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, I couldn't be this, I couldn't be that. And right through, you know, the, the good and the bad, I was bad at that. I could see that there was something, you know, I'm, I'm not a phenomenal singer. So there's all of those words that are still stuck, like, you know, like the burrs you get when you walk through the the the, the pasture. And, but I'm seeing you really l- loving the process of letting it go and by doing so, letting yourself sit and and be who you are. And I, yeah. I love that you said that. And then for me, how you've, you and Tommy have parented your children is such an star to me. Hmm. Thank you. No, but it is. You inspire me because you encourage your children to be fully expressed and to experiment first, and the rest will figure it out. And that is how I want our son to grow up, to see himself as a creative being and to to give him let let him be especially to be bored like i want you to be bored and here you know and he has the constraints of whatever the stuff is in his room that he can use to unboard him himself you know mm. and but to not allow not 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 allow him to help him find other language when what he made he feels he's comparing against someone or it wasn't what he wanted it to be. And the word experiment for me has become a really, really important word that what, instead of saying, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be this, right? It's that I'm going to experiment with this for a little while. And that in itself feels like an invitation to be creative instead of be right and do it perfectly or to be the best and just it unlocks so much inside of if it's an experiment then that means you're not supposed to know you're not supposed to know man i would have loved to have grown up right (laughs) where was seth godin then you know that that invitation like for you and tommy Mm -hmm. for you to both be who you are were you what is what i'm so curious what allowed you to see the world that way i'll just say for you you can't speak on behalf of Tommy. no i can't i can't really um but i do know that i was invited into uh, the place of seeing as a as a young child my mother made sure that that i had the opportunity to be exposed to performance and to museums and to galleries wow. however what's interesting is then, just as you described, we we leave the garden and we go into the box. Yes. Whether that's a school or an institution or or whatever, but we we go into the acknowledging the important socializing elements, while at the same time not quite ever reckoning with the fact that we are sacrificing huge pieces that may not come back or may yes. not come back easily. The doors may not open again, and so. Thank you for asking the question because, in fact, for me, it was it was when I met Tammy and when we began to play together as a couple, and then as young parents, and and within our professional uh, paths, 
Absolutely. And to be inspired by watching someone in her who was so able to drop into uh, the role of a, of, of, of a child. So, mm. so really the answer, I think mm. here for me, what's coming up is that, is that, uh, and I will grossly paraphrase it, but, but Picasso's statement about uh, every child is an artist and the challenge is for us to remember, you know, to, to remember that or to undo all of the, the growing up and hold on to that sense of, of childlike wonder. And you said it, and I, I just absolutely love that, the sense of wonder. There's no obligation to product when you're in a sit spot and, one, and, and wondering about it all. Yeah. And you make me, it's funny, you make me think, because I'm surrounded by people in, in my life who have retired or retiring and, and people who are yearning to be on vacation because they haven't been able to travel. And you just really made me think of permission to play and permission to have wonder and permission to have experiments are a moment in time in childhood on vacation. And then you wait, not you, but in general, in society that I'm, part most frequently part of is when you retire and so it's this waiting this constant waiting of being able to to play and be in wonder again and oh that just makes me it makes me sad and it feels like it's so far away I was I often think you know when I, I see people on vacation and what they pack in their suitcase for their clothing and their jewelry and how they behave and how they engage with strangers and I think like why do you like that in your day every day and it's it's like they're packing that child up not everybody but a lot of them and letting them play for a period of time or well, and I wouldn't yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder too if you if you acknowledge it as vacation so often it's when we go away and we enter this sense of uh, we yes. we we perceive there is a sense of anonymity again. You know, yeah. it's the child in the playground who, or or my three year old grandson, yes. who has yet to meet the world of judgment and yeah. and, and to how to wrestle with that. Um, so, yes, to, to your point, there's it's sad to think of the fact that some will never get out of that box that keeps them by the same token, by having brought the thought and the question out, I wonder how you will continue to ensure that you infuse that sense of wonder, little wonders and big wonders in the, in the work world as well. Right. When did, what if, what, when did work or play become a four letter word that we you know, that we held negativity towards and why can't they be? Because we know the best of play is also work, but it's work we so engage in, we don't want to let go. Or as Tammy says, I don't want to leave the, the, I don't want to come in at the end of the day, right? There's that, it's just too much more, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, it's Mm -hmm. clear to me that, and, and again, I mean, I know you, I know that you are, are so comfortable living in that space of reflection and, and recognizing that you are on a learning journey. And I, we're, we're almost coming to the end of, of sort of the time of this conversation. And I, 
I want to come back to I want to come back to the forest for a minute. Because I I know that at the conclusion of one of your guided forest therapy sessions, certainly the ones that we have had the privilege of, of um, experiencing, you include a tea ceremony, inviting participants to sit and sip. And we've done it virtually, but I suspect, you know, it's um, it's pretty unique and, and, and wonderful when you're in a circle on the forest floor. And and where and how that sits in terms of the of the closure. Talk to me about the significance of that. Maybe it's just part and parcel of the the way in which forest therapy is. is but but for you, how have you personalized the significance of that closure moment? Oh, it's a lovely question. It's just such a part of me now. I have to think about what it means to me. Um. Hmm. So there are a couple of things that. It, you reminded me of something I promised myself I'd do and I've forgotten. So I'll tell you about that, about how I want to start my day. So thank you for the question. Um, so the significance of it for me is to pause and to give thanks to this place and this space, like literally and figuratively, that has held me and the people that I'm guiding in a way that I know that anyone who went, and and we don't have to be in the same space, but it's just to pause and give gratitude that that space held us and gave us metaphors through things that we saw, gave us sensual experiences, something you smelled or touched or tasted that, elicited memories, our longings, or whatever that would be, that reconnected us and helped us, and for me personally, it helps reconnect me to realizing that I am part of something so much bigger than my everyday life, and to, um, and to drink that and in tea. It also it reminds me of a sense of time. So the water that makes the tea, you know, I all often say in a, in a tea ceremony, this could have been, you know, uh, come from snow that you caught on your tongue when you were 10, right? Or it could mm-hmm. have been water that a dinosaur drank, or it could be water that one of the ancestors of this place once had. And so for me, it's also that sense of eternal cycles and giving gratitude and also just acknowledging that I'm just this moment in time and there's been a whole bunch of things that have happened before me and after, and yet we're all connected with something as simple as water, right? And so for me, the last part though is ceremony. And there's there's just something so lovely about having a ceremony and it is part of that threshold. It is the part of before I began this walk, I was the Valerie before the walk. And now that I drink this tea and acknowledge and share what I've noticed with other human beings or just with myself and acknowledging it with this place, that I'm a different person. And Hmm. as I drink this and I share that, that water with the land, um, it's just honoring that and it's honoring myself. It's not just honoring this place and honoring myself and who I'm becoming. So the thing that I forgot is I was thinking, well, if that's a threshold in my day and that's a ceremony that I have, 
then I actually have a lot of ceremonies in my day that I don't realize are a ceremony. They feel like a drudgery. Like what? And so the mm. promise to myself was in the morning, how do I want to start my day where I can say I'm now the Valerie of today and before this, I was the Valerie of yesterday. And that sounds kind of woo-woo and, you know, what have you, but it actually is, it's like that fresh start. It's like a new year. It's like, and, and to, to begin it in a way, whether, even if it's just brushing my teeth, it's like, this is my ceremony. I'm starting this day today. And, yeah. and isn't this lovely that I get to begin today? Isn't this lovely that I have this whole period of time ahead of me? And all the things I've done in the days before me have brought me to this place. And I'm grateful for that, all those things that person did. And so, yeah, I have to bring that back in my life. But mm. it just reminds me of the importance of ceremony, the importance of pausing, the importance of sharing with others, um, and just a sense of belonging and, and connectedness. I say, you know, no matter where you are, you belong in nature. and it's it's like having a cup of tea at home but it's it's the home in the bigger sense right yeah yeah and again that's stopping to notice it is honoring and 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 honoring whatever it is you notice it's not yeah. i'm supposed to it's i do yeah, yeah. lovely lovely yeah. so take an imaginative leap with me yeah i wonder okay. who from all history Ooh. Would you choose to share a cup of tea in a ceremony if you could? Of anybody that I could share anybody. in the whole world. Who would it be? Um, it's funny. It's my it's it's the, my favorite person to do it with, and I wouldn't choose somebody else, and that's my son. Hmm. If I could choose anybody because, because he just gets it, he's 10 and I don't have to explain anything to him. And it is so sacred and so special to him. When he turned 10, the only thing that he wanted from me was, was to have a forest therapy session with him. And so I got up early that morning and I laid out you know, everything and all of my, the teapot and pots and laid it all out. And I just remember Bill and I, we wanted to do a threshold. Ten's a big deal. It's two numbers, right? It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so we found 10 rocks and we laid them in a line and we stood on one side and he was on the other and we invited him to cross the threshold over to 10 where we stood. And, and then we just went through a very simple you know, checking in with your senses and being present. And then, and then we sat in the grass and had a cup of tea and, and he was really emotional and he said, thank you. in in a way that he meant it, you know, and in the summertime, often he'll say, can we get up in our pajamas before everybody else and have, have a tea ceremony inside. So it's him because he, he is the child. It's me being five having a cup of tea with him being 10 mm -hmm. and my child in me gets to be a kid with him and that for me is that's everything it's everything and you generously ascribed to 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 my wife and i 
the image of North Star, but I think he is your North, North, North Star. Yes. Yes. I get yeah. to, he is my mirror and my North Star mm. and my teacher and he is, um, yeah, he's everything. Yeah. In, in all of the best ways. Mm. So I have one final question and, uh, Maybe it comes as a direct dot, dot, dot to the next. When your grandchild tells their child about Valerie and who she was in the world and how she inspired them, what do you hope they'll share? I hope that, so my grandma on my mom's side, matriarch in our family, just, I am so much who I am because of my grandma. And so much of it was this fierce stubbornness and honesty and love for color and high to art and indigenous culture and just this rebel. and taught me what it is to be a woman in this in this world is to be is to be yourself and to not apologize for that and yet still to be gracious and kind but to be fierce and so I will never be here and I I, I don't aspire to be her but I hope that my grandchildren or grandchild and even just my son will say that I was a learner because I apologize if I get something wrong and I just share what I learned with my son and I will with my grandchildren that, um, that I made the world feel magical for them, that I helped them see that magic is right there next to you. You just, you just need to notice and that they have a rich life, not because of their riches, the material part, which they may or may not have, um, but because they know they know how to have a life that has richness in it. Um, because they taste their food, they smell the cedar mulch on the walk down the road, they hear the bird and they pause to look at it and they have a good day every day because of those little things that their grandma reminded them to pay attention to. That's that I would be happy to have that. So thank you. We'll hold this, we'll hold this recording in, in the archives. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I can assure you that you do exude all that in, into the world that I have seen you play both with your family and, and others. And certainly I've always felt a deep heart connection. So Thank you. Thank you for, for opening up that heart and, um, and coming into this space with me safely. Thank you for asking me these questions. You've helped me land back in myself a bit more. So thank you. Thanks okay. a lot to you.
The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.